Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a furniture-breaking asshole. And I'm a wild-eyed southern boy somehow stuck in Philly. Welcome to episode 242, Cyber Slam 1997. Internet Wrestling Convention. Yes. That what it is? That's what it is. That's what it is. That's why it's called Cyber Slam. Bring all the weirdos to Philly, as if there wasn't enough of them already. Yeah, for real. As if they didn't all live there already. We are the weirdos, mister. So this was the second annual CyberSlam, produced by ECW. It would take place on February 22nd, 1997, from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with an attendance of 1,400 people. Ah, and I originally, I will write the notes down for place and location before I start the show and this was a two-day event but then I watched the show and we only got one of the days the 21st they were in Queens the Lost Battalion Hall but none of that came into play for the show we watched which I was kind of waiting for to happen or for them to show something from that show internet convention we gotta milk it I guess gotta go up to Bring people up to uh, New York to get some signature money. But we are in Philly. Yeah, we are. We haven't been here in a while. It's been a little bit. So, Shane, did you do what you do? Well, here we are, back in old Philly. And yes. (laughs) I had a feeling. We, uh... We've fallen back on our friend Joe and the uh, drink list that he submitted several weeks back. Wow, he submitted these back in July, even, and uh, here we are. Really, did almost this uh, the last quarter of the year, and we still got drinks courtesy of old Joe. I know this one's pretty delicious. It's pretty tasty so far on the uh, the list. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, I've been uh, asking for help with Philadelphia and uh, asking you guys specifically. ECW show pretty fucking much. After our, our second Philly cheesesteak, it was like, what the hell else do we got? <laughs> now what? But uh, one of our amazing listeners, we'll just call him Joe, because that's his name. <laughs> and <a> good name. <laughs> Solid name. He wrote in saying, fellas, I asked ChatGBT to create an ECW cocktail menu, and here's what I got back. So far, we have tried the franchise Fizz, the Deadly Dropkick, Raven's Revenge... The Sabu Slam. Have we done the Sandman Smash? I'm trying to remember. Blood and Budweiser. No. <laughs> this one, it's it's like a lunchbox, but with whiskey instead of beer. Oh, uh, okay. This time around, I went for what's known as the Stevie Richards Sour. This tangy delight combines bourbon, lemon juice, simple syrup, and a dash of bitters. It's served in a... It says served in a sour glass. I put it in a rocks glass with a lemon twist. Smooth. Yeah. 
I added a little bit of ginger ale to it just because I wanted something just to cut through the the booze just a little bit more because you know once we leave here we got to drive so yeah uh, well a couple of us do anyway one so cocktail night we want to thin it down a little bit so we're not uh, full Sandman by the time we get out of here uh-huh. under the legal limit yes but yeah it's it's like a a play on an old fashioned in a way just with lemon instead of orange it makes me um, there's no cherry in it want to sit in uh, the back porch of a large home while wearing like white linen and speaking in a southern accent like on a sun porch with a I mean I don't want fan and a breeze yeah. blowing through the screens I don't want to say anything positive about the father character from the movie Chinatown but when <laughs> I take a sip of this I kind of feel like him just in the <laughs> You know what he you've seen yeah. Chinatown, right? It's been a long yeah. time, but yeah. Uh, this, yeah, this feels like uh, something that he would have been sipping on. Yeah. Uh, it's a good... In his large home. It's a good little blend here. The The lemon cuts through the, the bourbon. I used uh, Bullet bourbon. Yeah, solid, solid bourbon. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got a good sweetness to it. There's a little warmth. The, the simple syrup sweetens up the tartness of the lemon juice and then yeah got some ginger ale in there just to add a little bit of a mixer to dull down the alcohol a little bit add a few bubbles yeah i'm a huge fan of uh, a whiskey cocktail with fresh lemon juice in it so you know it is good it's marks uh you know checks the box for um for me for sure it joe is, you're it, uh it is the brightest whiskey drink i think i've ever drank that's a good point yeah it feels very yeah, very light mm-hmm. for a whiskey drink. It's good. So, Joe, another, another hit. slam dunk, hit, touchdown, I'd whatever the hell that, you want to call it. Uh, yeah, I'd rank this one, but pff, I can't remember all the other ones. It's I know. Really that, uh, this one's pretty great, though. I, that Raven's Revenge still stands out to me, not only just because it was a pretty drink, but it was one of those that... It was dangerous. You couldn't really taste the alcohol in it because uh, of the other stuff that was in there. So if you drank more than a couple right. of there, them, there was that one. Though. What was? Yeah, because you that have was, an idea. What was in like the main ingredients in that? I got the list right in front yeah, of me so here. You don't have to look it. I'm not trying to drag it out. I'm just curious. I'm trying to remember because I think I had to doctor this one up because black vodka is not found in the United States. I want to say it's um, it's a forbidden item. So I used. A premium vodka, I threw some black cherry juice in there, a little bit of cranberry juice, some lime. Oh, okay. And then I think I also may have taken some of the sake that was on there, just uh, yeah. to give it something a little extra. But I do remember, yeah, I, I can remember that It was one. pretty in its, it's, it's martini glass, it was garnished with a, a blackberry, and it was, nice it was nice super fruit forward to where the alcohol was completely covered, and had we drank a couple of those, it would have been trouble. We've been uh, slurring at the end as if we got hit in the head by yes. a chair. We would have quoted nothing evermore. The Dudley Dropkick was pretty damn good too, but yeah, that's I'm a big fan of pineapple juice. Yeah, that was in that one. So yeah, sure. like, can't go wrong. With yeah, we're juice. we're down to a blue mini mojito. Ooh, and you know I love. I mojito. believe the Sandman Smash is the other remaining one on the drink. I'd list. say save the mojito for WrestleMania, but blue mini will not be on WrestleMania. No, that's my WrestleMania drink. That's the month of mojitos for me. One, once a month. <laughs> it's the month of WrestleMania. Does it matter which month that falls in? I don't know. It's, yeah. it's always the same month, right? Close not to always. Not always. Yeah. Sometimes it's March. Yep. Sometimes it's today. Yeah. End of March, beginning of April, typically. Either way. 
it's basically spring because it's spring and summer uh, only in Oklahoma at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'd make another one of these and yeah. be happy about it. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, Actually, nice. that franchise fizz, now that I'm looking at it, that one was good because of the, the warmth of the jalapeno at the end of it. Put it on the short list. <laughs> <laughs> so something that would happen right around the same time as Cyber Slam, David Lynch's Lost Highway would open in theaters the same weekend. Love it. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite David Lynch movie. But I will say that this movie has maybe the most like subtly like non-violent terrifying scenes in a movie to me personally that every time i see it even a screenshot of the moment it gives me chills this is not the most accessible david lynch film no it is not but it is one that is entertaining throughout and only gets better the more you watch it i don't know shane so i gotta look it up i don't know if you're as big of forever as big of a uh, lynch head as me but i don't think i am i know you've uh, i know you've seen this one this is the one where it starts with bill pullman yeah so i remember bill he, pullman being in there and then the movie the movie splits ha- like in the middle of the movie it goes to a new character but it never explains why this is kind of blue velvet pretty straightforward it's weird it's upsetting but it is just a like suburban almost like like hardy brothers like you know boy scout mystery but in a very dark way um and then lost highway is a nightmare puzzle in a similar way to mulholland drive which a lot of people consider his masterpiece I love all of them so much, it's hard for me to pick a favorite one, but as far as I'm concerned, whatever your favorite one uh, is worthy of being your favorite, because I don't really have any negative things to say about his output. So I remember watching this one and going... What the fuck? What the fuck did I just watch? Yeah, it's what everyone's going to do it the first time. Yeah. And you're probably going to do it the second and third time, and then you might start to create or decide what you think happened. I mean, uh, and pull meaning out of it, but the first time is just a upsetting roller coaster. That's truly like creepy in a it's terrifying in a humanistic way, where it's not like violence or somebody chasing you. It's like true psychological trauma. But I mean, when your cast ranges, what we've got: Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette, yep, Robert Blake, he's the Henry he's Rollins. Balthazar uh, Getty, Gary Busey. Like I'm double checking because I it's got a great Richard soundtrack. Pryor. Yeah, fucking Richard Pryor in a movie, oh, wow. 1996. Yeah. yeah, this movie I think might be at this point most famous for, outside of the Robert Blake stuff, the highway. Because the way that the they way the way that Lynch shoots the highway and it's in the trailer. And it's on the cover of uh, the album, and I think that it was maybe used in a music video because this soundtrack is very industrial heavy. It's got Nine Inch Nails and some Manson on it. It's a German actress named Drew Barrymore, just spelled totally different. Oh wow! But yeah, I would uh, highly suggest this if you're a goddamn freak. But so you gotta read the. What if you're just a regular freak? If you're a regular freak, start with Blue Velvet. 
<laughs> because Blue Velvet's freaky, but like my mom could watch Blue Velvet and be and like understand the plot completely and still enjoy herself and be engaged even if she's creeped out. But Clothed Highway is confusing for anybody and everybody, no matter how big of a freak you are on first viewing. It's not a straightforward... And I know Matt doesn't like uh, weirdo shit. So this is like... So I would not suggest this one to Inspiration you. for American Horror Stories just because of the twisted everything about it. Yeah, the... The premise that, or the overview that I read on the, the Googles says, From this inventory of imagery, Lynch fashions two separate but intersecting stories. One about a jazz musician tortured by the notion that his wife is having an affair who suddenly finds himself accused of her murder. The other is a young mechanic drawn into a web of deceit by a temptress who is cheating on her gangster boyfriend. These two tales are linked by the fact that the woman in both are played by the same actress, Patricia Arquette. Marilyn Manson's in this movie? Yep, he shows up at the end. Mm -hmm. It's just got a, a wide variety. <laughs> Creepy, bizarre, and moving is how it's described. It's definitely all of those things. <laughs> I can honestly say, I think Mulholland Drive and Straight Story are the only two that I've seen of his movies that he has directed. Yeah, I can see you being a fan of Straight Story. It was alright. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of whatever. I mean, it's the most straightforward I mean, no pun intended, but it's like, it's a Disney movie. It's a touchstone yeah. film. Category. But, as much as I love this movie, I would not start with this if you're new to David Lynch, but I would highly suggest it to the freaks and weirdos out there. But just the freaks and weirdos already saw it. Just dive right in. Just, just go to right Dune. In. Just go with Dune. Dune's maybe... Dune's the only movie that David Lynch... I really want to watch Dune, won't. but I'm purposely not watching it until oh, after yeah. the second new one comes out yeah because you don't know where the story goes exactly. oh, wait he's the director of that one yeah yeah he's okay. the director of the old 80s one well the oh the 80s one yeah. gotcha the quick overview of that is that but i know it doesn't follow the book like to the t probably not no but david lynch was asked to make star wars episode six and return of the jedi return of the jedi and uh he said no because he thought he wouldn't get enough freedom to do what he wanted to do and instead since he was a hot property from making elephant man and uh whatnot they asked he got pegged for the dune movie where he thought he would have a little more license it ended up being a terrible experience for him the movie uh, did poorly and was panned and uh, after that he never worked with a major studio again and only ever did things on his own terms there's a lot of people that dislike that Dune movie. There's a lot of people that came around on it because they're David Lynch fans. And there's some sci-fi fans that were just happy to see a Dune movie at all that still understand. But you never still have you know reasons to enjoy it. I enjoy it because of the Lynch of it all, even though it is very flawed. It's the only movie of his that, like, if it plays on TV, I don't even think his name is as their director. I think he may have Alan Smithied it. But because of that, he never got pulled into the studio system and has only ever made passion projects, which works for me. Yeah, I'd say for me, Mohan Drive. I like that one. Huge fan of the Twin Peaks show. How do you feel about... I'm trying to remember Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart 
I think it would be one you might really enjoy. That's the one with uh, Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage. It's a big road trip yep. movie. Willem Dafoe. Yep. Yeah. Crispin Glover. That one's incredible. Yep. That I one's wanna... got. It's got a very big Wizard of Oz theme throughout it, but twisted, of course. Looks like he has a show that could be being produced for Netflix. Well, let's bring it on, brother. The more, the better. Like currently. Yeah. Hmm. He did do a weird thing for Netflix a couple years ago. Is that this unrecorded night? Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. The one thing I'm thinking of was just like a short film of a monkey. Yeah, he's done a bunch of short films. Yeah, the short films are very bizarre. Because he hasn't made a real movie since 2006. Yeah, Inland Empire. He does weather reports? Yeah, every <laughs> every day, just from his like art studio, because he does a lot of visual art, like paintings and stuff. Okay, because yeah, that was the next thing after Unrecorded Night was Weather Report, like yeah. 152 episodes. It's it just like clips he puts on YouTube where it's just him and he just says the weather. Hmm. Very charming, very charming man. And no one, considering how bizarre and upsetting his work is, it seems like uh, everybody that's ever worked with him just thinks he's the sweetest guy. What a weird, weird dude. Yeah, wonderful guy. His uh, autobiography is a really good read if you're a big enough fan to read it because it's very interesting where one chapter is him like talking about his life and then the chapter after that is the person that helped write the autobiography. She interviews people in his life about that point in his life and then it's just like the two... What the way he viewed his life at that point, and then the way the people that knew him at that time viewed it and interacted with him, and it just goes throughout his life as like back and forth. It's like in conversation with itself, even though he's not having the conversation with the people, which makes so much sense for a David Lynch biography to be not typical. Anyway, big fan, but there's no room for David Lynch in wrestling. I'm looking at you. Well, that's rude, Bray Wyatt, but. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't mean it like that. Too soon. I didn't mean it like that. He's a talented man. But there's one more thing we need to talk about. Cyber Slam 1997? Before we get to the wrestling. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh! It's like, where are we going with this? Sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie? Sweet potato. You say pumpkin? I'm a pumpkin guy. I say I don't care because they're both good. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't care for either one. Really? Okay. Yeah. But if I were to eat one, it'd probably be sweet potato. Yeah. I think they're both good, so I'll take what I can get. Yeah. But I would probably make a pumpkin pie, because I've done that before. And I've never made a sweet potato pie. I'll just do hash brown casserole. There you go. I do my creamy, bacony Brussels sprouts with stuff. Sweet potato casserole with marshmallows? No. Is that a thing? I don't like sweet potato and marshmallows. I don't like marshmallows. Okay. So. Well, that's We can all get behind this. Marshmallows are for girls. Huh? Okay. <laughs> one of send, my... send all of your uh, correspondence to uh, <laughs> Michael at Wrestling History X. Same with cotton candy. Get it out of here. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> a lot of things. What do you got against? <laughs> I mean, come on, he's, a David, he's a David Lynch fan. I mean, he's one of the freaks. <laughs> Let's talk CyberSlam '97. We get the title and date card on the screen, and we go straight to our first match. The Eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus versus Sabu and Rob Van Dam for the ECW World Tag Team Championships 
in a tables and ladders match. Ooh. And the champions are out first, guys. Foreshadowing. And the Eliminators immediately grab a ladder from under the ring and set it up around ringside before entering the, the ring. Followed by Perry taking the mic to let everyone know that they are the best tag team in the world before talking about Monday night when ECW will head to Raw. Saturn continues by giving respect to their opponents, saying that they will shake the hands of the challengers if they win. Perry and RVD then start us off with a feeling out process until Van Dam nails a drop kick, followed by both partners tagging in for another feeling out process until Cronus takes the homicidal one down with a uranagi. Sabu responds with a drop kick to the knee and locks on a single crab, only for Saturn to fly in with a boot to break it up. John with a rubber band slam and a leg drop on the hung up homicidal one followed by both of the Eliminators hitting spinning heel kicks for a two-count. It's the mostly elimination. <laughs> Sabu fires back with right hands to Perry to slow the momentum, taking him down for a camel clutch, followed by a drop kick to the face for Van Dam to get a near fall. Ooh, and it's fast and nasty. Basement drop kick, like, you can see him go too far. Yeah. He went too fast, and it's like, oh, he just kind of took it right on the forehead, where, like... RVD's knees end up like in the shoulders <laughs> of uh, the poor Eliminator. RVD looks to apply a surfboard, but Saturn escapes and crotches Van Dam on the ropes, followed by a springboard clothesline that takes them both out to the floor. And Perry looks to bring the ladder into the ring, when RVD would jump to the apron to fight with him over it, before both of their partners would just dropkick the ladder into them, sending them crashing down to the floor. The homicidal one would then fly through the ropes with a tope suicida onto Saturn, while Cronus hits a slingshot plancha onto Van Dam. And the four men to begin to brawl into the crowd, using right hands, kicks, guardrails, and walls, before making their way back to the ring, where Sabu would throw a chair into Perry's face, followed by a triple jump moonsault. I was going to say that... RVD gets cheers. Eliminators get cheers. Sabu slowly been pulling booze. Mm-hmm. and Because uh, everybody's tired of waiting on him. Yeah, they <clears> really <throat> are. It's, yeah, because Taz had the hottest heat for so long. Yeah. But when you're that good at any one thing, you have to go... You become face at a point. Yep. We're looking at that happening with Austin over in the WWF right now where it's like... People are still pissed, but they're yeah. not going to stay pissed forever. No, because... and I think in this case here, they're more... Taz talks about Sabu. Sabu hasn't really said anything or done anything in regards to Taz. I mean, yeah, he doesn't... At least on I the shows Have we, we ever watched. seen Sabu do a promo? Sabu doesn't talk. No. He used to, they used to do the like, Hannibal Lecter gimmick at first. Which is kind of funny now, thinking about it, that they're in Philadelphia. <laughs> Isn't that where... Or is that... Is Silent Slam's in Baltimore, or is it in Philadelphia? Um, it's in one of the two places, I think. I'm trying to remember. I know it's in one of the two places, which is really funny because Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins, it's like, there's no way this guy's from Baltimore or Philly. But it would have been really funny if he had a Baltimore or Philly accent, because that's a, that's a goofy-ass accent to have. So the homicidal one seems to have hurt his ribs, so he can't make the cover. So RVD jumps in, 
only to get a two count. Saturn makes it back to his feet to nail a brain buster on Van Damme, making the cover, only for Sabu to break it up with a leg drop off the ladder, which is leaned against the ropes. And RVD continues with a moonsault off the leading ladder as well, before the homicidal one pulls the steel off the ropes and slams Perry atop it. Crazy, it's like off the second rung of the ladder, he just like pulls a moonsault. RVD, what a man. Skills. The challengers then hit a combo rolling thunder slingshot leg drop onto Saturn. Goes for the cover, but Cronus is back in to break it up. Perry with a spin kick to RVD before throwing the ladder into his face and clotheslining Sabu off the apron. The Eliminators would then team up to whip Van Damme into the ladder in a corner, followed by a handspring back elbow from John for a two count. RVD's suplexed by Cronus, while Saturn body slams the homicidal one before trying for a ladder-aided double clothesline. But the challengers duck, only for the Eliminators to just toss them the ladder and dropkick it into them. Classic fun comedy spot, really. Perry rolls out to grab a smaller ladder, while John holds Van Damme, allowing Saturn to throw the new object right at the skull of RVD. Oh no. Ouch. Perry's whip is then reversed, sending him into the ladder in the corner, allowing Van Damme to lock on a surfboard, followed by Sabu flying in with a single sledge to the ribs. A standing moonsault for a two-count from RBD, before the homicidal one uses a ladder for an Arabian face buster Oof. that gets a near fall. Damn. And Van Damme keeps up the attack with a double underhook front suplex, slamming the ladder on top of Saturn for another two-count before the challengers try for a double clothesline. But Perry just busts through it before delivering one of his own, only to be so worn out that Sabu is up first to deliver a slingshot somersault leg drop. I love that he just read Rovers through the double clothesline. That's like the first thing I thought of. I was like, remember that game that they probably don't play anymore? Where kids just run through each other's arms trying to break them. The homicidal one goes for a cover, but Cronus breaks it up allowing Saturn to make a tag and team up for stereo super kicks to take Sabu down. Followed by John hitting a body slam and a second rope corkscrew senton for a near fall. Perry continues with a Saturn bomb to the homicidal one while Cronus smashes RVD's head into a ladder. Perry and Sabu then make their way to the floor, only for Saturn to be dumped into the front row allowing the homicidal one to grab a chair for a triple jump assault over the guardrail onto Perry. While that's happening, Van Damme tosses John into a ladder, following in with a spinning heel kick, which takes them both out to the floor as well. An RVD super kicks Cronus, followed by a leaping off the guardrail with a moonsault, while Saturn has recovered enough to hit a Frankensteiner on Sabu in the middle of the ring. And we know what to expect from these guys. They're just doing... Fucking power moves. Every move. Power move. Power move. That's where the Young Bucks got it. Everybody's back in the ring with John body slamming Van Dam, while Perry sets up the ladder to leap off with a splash onto him. But Sabu runs in and drop kicks the ladder into Cronus, tossing him out to the floor to set him on a table, followed by a slingshot somersault senton onto John to put them through the table. Oof. And in the ring, RVD has set the ladders up in two different corners, 
placing Saturn atop one that is straddling two sides of the ring, before climbing to the top for a split-legged moonsault. The challengers then focus on Cronus with stereo springboard kicks for a near fall. They then try the same on Saturn, but Perry catches Van Dam, only for RVD to duck, causing Saturn to still take the Homicidal One's kick. Sabu then leaps off Van Dam's back with a leg lariat to Perry in a corner, followed by the Homicidal One attempting to whip Saturn, but it's reversed with Sabu ducking an RVD roundhouse kick. And the two men look at each other, allowing Perry to drop kick Van Dam into the Homicidal One. Oh no! Followed by Cronus making it back to his feet to team up to nail a pair of total eliminations Ooh. on RVD for the pin and, and the win. win. Not the best total elimination, but they got there. Mm-hmm. Post match, Sabu agrees to shake the Eliminator's hands, but Van Dam isn't interested. So the homicidal one berates his partner, leading to RVD just walking off while the crowd chants. Asshole. Which is funny because Sabu's getting booze for essentially being turned into the face. And RVD got the cheers. But as we've learned from the three of us recently going to a Raw, the crowd just wants to chant. Doesn't necessarily mean they're into anything. Mm -hmm. They just like to yell in unison. So as soon as they get an opportunity to use a well-known chant, they do it. And they want to be part of the show. ECW could have been the true start of that in, mm-hmm. in uh, American wrestling, as we see here. We go to Joey Styles in the ring, and he introduces the Pitbulls to joining, where number one says he wants Shane Douglas to stop behaving like Shawn Michaels and actually face his maker. Ooh. I mean, you'll love to hear it. The franchise and Francine then come out on the eagle's nest to tell them to kiss his ass, before adding that he doesn't give a fuck about Monday Night Raw, doesn't give a fuck about ECW. What I give a shit about is you, Gary Wolf, running your mouth. And then Shane demands he never be compared to a fucking asshole like the Heartbreak Kid. And if the Pitbulls want a piece, they can have at him right now. So the Pitbulls then head out through the crowd, only for the triple threat to be waiting in the shadows. No. With Brian Lee choke slamming number two through a table, while Candido chokes out number one with his own dog chain. You know what's incredible here? I mean, great, granted, Shane Douglas. Wonderful promo, Pitbulls. Ultimate baby faces here. The chant of Gary. Just chanting the name Gary. Incredibly funny. And it works because they put the guy through hell. And uh, really, you know, lean into the angle for so long. We then go to our second match. Chris Chetty versus Little Guido with Wildfire Tommy Rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Tommy has the mic in hand talking about his history with the Mafia, that the family called him to come out and help Guido. We want JT. So do we. I mean, we love JT. I miss JT. Rich then asked the ring announcer 
if he smells what I'm cooking. And uh, it made me wonder there, was The Rock inspired by Tommy Rich? Might have been. Is this the first... Do you smell what I'm cooking in I, wrestling I, I, history? I, I, Probably not. I feel like that that's a thing that existed because even we cracked this a while ago before Austin 316 that the 316 thing was a sports sign throughout the years. It was John just, 316. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, of course, from the Bible, but like it was a thing that was used in sports. So that's where Austin pulled it from. It wasn't like a completely original thought, but him bringing it into wrestling was. Smell what I'm cooking just sounds like something from a fucking Brando movie from the 50s. Tommy Rich said it here, but I don't think The Rock was probably pulling from Tommy (laughs) Rich at this point. So the two men have a feeling out process until little Guido bitch slaps Chetty, which starts a foot race around the ring, leading to a backside pin and a hurricanrana for a two count by each man. Chris goes to run the ropes, only for Wildfire to trip him up from the ringside, allowing Guido to take control with a clothesline, a gut-wrench gut-buster, and a back elbow for a near fall. Chetty tries to fire up, but an eye rake stops that, before a snap suplex by little Guido, followed by just tossing Chris out to the floor, where Rich dumps him crotch first across the guardrail. Is it, it's Chetty? I heard Jenny, so I wrote Chris Jenny. Yeah, the rookie. But it's Chetty, which is Chetty. such... Jenny is such a better last name than Chetty. Chetty. Chris I mean, Chetty. Go complain to his parents. Yeah, I mean, I guess... He could, there's no way he came up with the name. Because somebody would have been like, Jenny, it sounds better. Back in the ring, Guido with chops, a power slam, knee drop, and a power bomb for a two count. Which just frustrates little Guido. So he heads to the second rope. But Tommy tells him... Go all the way to the top. Ah, I guess he just became a heel manager yesterday. Guido flies off with a knee drop, only for Chetty to move in time, cradling up little Guido for the pin. And And the the win. win. Post-match, Rich and Guido argue momentarily, but Tommy reminds him that they're a pair of full-blooded Italians. I know Italians. And the crowd is really down on Tommy Rich as they chant. Fuck him up, Guido, but they stay true to the angle. But he just yells right back at the fans. Yep. Fuck every one of you. Boy, Tommy Rich has changed since his WCW time. Yeah, I mean, we saw I, him in... Like, I enjoy him just as much as I did then, though. <laughs> we saw him, like, in WCW as a guy on, like, legend events. Yeah. So, like, we mm-hmm. haven't seen him as... In like his true best form, but I will say he's doing a good job of being a heel, even though it feels like go away heat. That's about as good as you're gonna get at ECW because they're gonna do whatever they want anyway. So we go to our third match: Balls Mahoney versus Big Stevie Cool with the BWO of Hollywood Nova, Seven Eleven, and a blue guy. And a Balls chant starts going, but Stevie one-ups it by starting a BWO chant before the two have some back-and-forth action until Richards hits a hip toss, a drop kick, and an arm drag into an arm bar. And the fans break into a show-your-tits chant, which meaning obliges off-screen yeah. to some's delight. Too hot for TV. While Mahoney is pounding away on Big Stevie Cool. 
until Balls is taken down into a Fujiwara armbar to no avail. Mahoney back to his feet to use his power advantage with right hands when Stevie would duck a clothesline and come off the ropes with a crossbody before returning to an armbar that still isn't all that successful. Richards with mounted punches and a stink face. But Balls retaliates with a short arm clothesline and forearms across his chest before hitting a spinning heel kick that sends them both out to the floor. And the BWO check on Big Stevie Cool, helping him to his feet, but Mahoney drags him back to the apron by the hair, only to hot shot him across the top rope, and then yanking little Stevie first into the bottom rope. Ouch. Balls with a body slam, a second rope elbow drop, and a leg drop to continue the punishment. When Richards would get several boots up on a charging Mahoney, followed by a second rope drop kick. Big Stevie Cool would then start running the ropes, only to be caught with a nutcracker, which is an inverted atomic drop. Oh, of course. What else would you call it? Sending Richards to wail about with his plums in hand, while Balls mocks the Memphis strut. Mahoney with another body slam and he heads up top, coming off with a leg drop, only for Big Stevie Cool to move in time. Now Mahoney sells his balls as uh, he looks to have sat on them. Stevie fires up with a stone-cold stunner for a two-count, but Balls recovers to nail a fallaway slam before mocking the blue guy. Mahoney then drops the straps, so the fans scream, Shave your tits! <laughs> They're creative, what can we say? Before attempting a powerbomb, but Richards floats over and goes for an O'Connor roll only for Balls to hold on to the ropes. Mahoney then tries a clothesline and a thrust kick, which Big Stevie Cool ducks and drops down to kick Balls square in the balls, (laughs) allowing him to deliver a Stevie kick for the pin and And the the win. Post-match, Richard starts dancing around like the heartbreak kid when a female admirer would jump in the ring and goes after little Stevie Uh-oh. until security can grab her to haul her away. Is it the same muscular woman that was no, at Raw? It's not. No. <laughs> this lady's blonde. I couldn't tell if it was a wig. I don't... I, could, I couldn't figure out it who totally, it was. I literally thought it was some dude in a... Like, and a some wig. dude in drag. Because the wig looked horrible. Yeah. Uh, poor Peaches. Oh, you leave peaches at this. But... Because I, I literally it, thought it was going to be like some like just random wrestler. Is it somebody that comes into play later? You don't know? I literally think that it was just a random person that just jumped yeah. jumped the ring. Yeah, or maybe it was... Because it didn't look... Like, they didn't... Re- they didn't Stevie show. didn't react like it was part of the show. Okay, I could see Stevie just telling a fan to do that, to mock the recent goings-on at the WWF, just because everybody's smart in this building. But, yeah, I was just curious if it was, like, somebody that I should know about. It wasn't Missy Hyatt. As far as I know, no. Old Squeezy's coming back. (laughs) So we go to our fourth match. Axel Rotten versus Spike Dudley. And Spike comes running out with a chair beating up the ring posts. But when he comes round one of the corners, Rotten is there to close lining and throw him into a guardrail multiple times. 
Axel keeps up the attack with left hands, a not-so-rubber-band slam, before tossing Dudley into the ring, where he nails a vertical suplex for a two-count. Rotten with a whip, falling in with a clothesline, only for Spike to move and start gnawing on Axel's forehead. Pretty funny. Before hitting a pair of drop kicks that get no sold. So Dudley comes off the ropes with a leaping forearm that takes Rotten down and sending him rolling out to the floor. Oh, Spike. Spike follows out with a somersault plancha off the apron before returning to the ring to hit a top rope plancha to the floor as well. And they head back into the ring where Dudley climbs the ropes again to nail a crossbody for a near fall before going up once more, only for Axel to catch him with a clothesline on his way down. Now Rotten goes for a bulldog, but Spike just shoves him off into a corner, following in to deliver the acid drop, when the Dudley boys would rush down to attack, with Spike fending them off with drop kicks and forearms momentarily. But Axel is able to recover during this time, hitting the Dominator for the pin and the win. Post-match, the Dudleys continue to beat Spike into a pulp with a Bubba Bomb stomps, and a 3D aided by Rotten. When the music hits, X's go up, and the trash cans come flying, which leads us to our fifth match. The Dudley Boys of Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley versus the Gangsters of Mustafa Saeed and New Jack. And as usual, this is where my brain turns off. On an ECW show. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> and everybody's brawling, including Axel Rotten, who's still around from the previous match, using guitars, trash cans, clotheslines, stomps, and chains to bust everybody open. Mustafa with several elbow drops on Bubba for a two count, before being choked with a belt, while Jack continues to lay waste to Axel and Devon outside. Saeed with a back body drop to Bubba Ray, followed by a clothesline and more chokes, while Jack is using a chain and a chair on Devon down the aisleway. New Jack runs Devon face first into a ring post. Post. While Bubba hits Mustafa over the head with a box of some kind and a VCR. Recorded. Before setting up a table against the ropes. Bubba Ray tosses Saeed out of the ring while Devon brings Jack back inside. Brawling right in front of the table, allowing Bubba to hit a splash that doesn't break the table initially. So the crowd chants, You fucked up! You'd think a big boy, those big boys, could break those tables. Yeah, like, how are you going to blame him for the table not breaking? It's the table's fault. He did what he was supposed to do. They didn't think they had to jump on it. it. Bubba Ray then tosses New Jack head first into the table, and it shatters this time. There you go. He's got a hard head. Before turning and yelling at the crowd that they fucked up. Tell him, Bubba. More brawling and choking by everybody. Bubba Gray with the clothesline to Mustafa, nailing him over the back with a piece of the broken table. Devon then uses a trash can and a chair shot to hit Jack. The VCR is again used over the head of New Jack by Devon. Recorded. Recorded. <laughs> I mean, it was funny. Before tossing him to the outside, while Saeed telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Bubba Ray to kick him down and deliver a falling headbutt for a two count. How about duplicated? Jack reverses a whip okay. to send Devon into the railing before using a chair over the head, 
while Mustafa suplexes and chokes Bubba inside the ring. And Saeed continues with a chain aided clothesline to Bubba Ray before using a nightstick several times and tossing Bubba to the floor. Now New Jack tosses Devon into the crowd, falling with the table, which is set up by fans, before placing the Dudley on it and climbing to the balcony above. Yeah, the, produ- the production zone. Yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the balcony the, that's above the front, front doors. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the, the Eagles' nest. Yeah, it's the one where Shane Douglas was earlier. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. The one that's on the hard cam, not where the hard cam is placed. Yeah. Mustafa has come over to keep Devon in place when Jack leaps off with a splash. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't jump far enough, mm-hmm. so Joey kindly calls it a diving headbutt. Yeah, his head basically hits like the the fatty side of the stomach of the stomach and the table. And that yeah. means his legs just hit the floor. Yeah, those knees, if he Ow. ever had any. Everybody makes it back to ringside where Axel Rotten gets beaten down again by Saeed. Hey, at least New Jack got a chant and an extra $50 tonight. <laughs> but ends up making it into the ring to break up a pin attempt by New Jack on Devon. Axel then rolls Dudley on top for the pin, and no, Jack gets his middle finger up. Yeah, it's great because I don't even think he lifts his shoulder. He just lifts his arm as if he was like, you know, Undertaker sitting up. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> outside of a man almost killing himself, maybe the best moment of the match. Just saying a lot. Yeah. They're doing too much because the man lifted his arm after almost dying, and that was a pop. Bubba Ray and Mustafa use a chair on each other on the floor before they switch to using the broken guitar, while New Jack climbs to the top rope with a chair in hand. When Rotten goes to interfere once more, only to receive a shot to the head for his troubles. Jack then leaps off the top with a diving headbutt, but he doesn't notice that Bubba has made his way into the ring, who catches him with a Bubba cutter for the pin and the win. Post-match, Saeed jumps in the ring to drop kick Devon out of the ring as the gangsters stand tall. Hmm. Even they though lost. they lost. Even though they lost, but the crowd boos because they didn't want the gangsters to lose. Did anybody actually win? Uh, no. Yeah. Nobody, nobody won. It's not the worst, like... I mean, the dog... diving headbutt into the Bubba Cutter is pretty cool. Yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. It's not the worst, like... It's got its bloody brawl that we've seen. It's just that we've seen it so much mm. that even when a good one happens, it's hard to get excited about. Yeah. And this right. one wasn't the worst one, but it wasn't special either. I've enjoyed the show for the most part, and then it's seriously, the the music hits for the gangsters, and yeah. I just like instantly just like sink into my couch and just like stare. I say it all the time, but... There's no excitement to it. It's just, what kind of trash are we going to get in this match now? The best thing New Jack ever did is a Smoky Mountain promo, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And, yeah. And you can send it to anybody. Like, anybody on, I guess, at least in the United States. Maybe not the planet. I don't know if the whole planet knows who O.J. Simpson is. But you can send it to anybody out of context, and they are going to react in a big way. And... That's the best thing he ever did. It did not involve jumping off of anything or cutting anybody or bleeding. Mm -mm. He used his words. So we go to our sixth match. Tracy Smothers versus Taz with Bill Alfonso and Team Taz. 
And the last time we saw Smothers was at the NWA, Smoky Mountain Wrestling World Heavyweight Title Tournament, episode 135. And this is his first match in ECW. And I must say that Smothers is looking big and mean. Mm -hmm. He looks like an ass-kicking dad. And it's been a while since we've seen him, but he's got the... He was a shaved, badass, pretty boy, but here he looks like a guy with an igloo cooler full of beer that will crack you with a pool cue. It's a great look. So the human suplex machine just bitch slaps Tracy to start. So Smothers tackles Taz, which leads to some amateur wrestling, with the human suplex machine getting the advantage to hit a double underhook suplex. Taz then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Tracy to nail a sunset flip for a two count. But the human suplex machine comes right back with a clothesline. Taz then whips Smothers to a corner, only for him to hop over the ropes to the apron before leaping up to the top to fly off with a crossbody for a near fall. Tracy continues with a pair of forearms, an enziguri, back elbows, and a draw kick for a two count, before heading up top to deliver the jawjacker, which is a flying back elbow, that gets a near fall. Damn. The human suplex machine then ducks a clothesline, leading to the two men fighting over a waistlock, which Taz wins to launch Smothers with a released German. The human suplex machine follows with a T-bone suplex and the Taz mission for the submission and, and the win. win. That was quick. It was quick, but I will say that Smothers looked good, and I liked... You could overanalyze the psychology of this, where Taz gets him riled up so he's not thinking in his right mind, takes advantage of it, and of course Taz has the mat wrestling stuff down, but Taz isn't going to do a sunset flip or a jawjacker. Like, we've got our cage fighter and our seasoned wrestler, and uh, one of them's more sure of himself than the other. That's me overthinking it just for the sake of Terry Smothers, or Terry Tracy Smothers, Jesus. <laughs> Terry's mother. Yes. So we go to our seventh match. Raven and the bulldozer Brian Lee versus Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer with Beulah McGillicuddy. I mean, man, every time I say Funk, I just keep thinking Flash. I'm telling you. It's tricky. He's he's too cold if he was in this in this uh He's too cold to be so funky. Yeah, it's probably pretty cold in Philadelphia still. Joey tells us that Terry would earn a title shot at barely legal should he pin Raven in this match. So Raven takes the mic to remind Tommy that they've known each other since they were twelve and that Dreamer has never beaten him at anything. It's funny to remember that, like, it started, it's all started with Raven showing up doing, like, promos in a classroom about Tommy Dreamer. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was the initial thing. We haven't talked about or thought about it in forever. Hmm. Raven continues that tonight he is prepared to lay on his back and allow Tommy to pin him. No games, no tricks. It just means costing your mentor his title shot. Come on, Tommy! Pin me! You've waited your whole life for this. You don't have the balls, do you? And this is great, because Terry Funk is like, go ahead, man. Pin him. 
Go ahead and pin him. Mm-hmm. Terry Funk just wants to win, but Tommy Dreamer obviously loves and reveres Terry Funk, and he just can't bring himself to do it. Dreamer then dives at Raven to start beating on him before hitting a power slam and goes for the cover. But he gets up, yelling, Fuck! <laughs> as he's conflicted on what to do. Yeah. It's a good... It's a good... Uh, Fuck yell, because it's like, yeah, it's not it's not performative. Raven sits up laughing. Come on, Tommy. Why don't you pin me? You couldn't hurt your mentor, could you? Bring on the old man. So Funk enters the ring. Terry, Terry. But Raven immediately tags out. So Dreamer tags back in to take a pounding from Lee, followed by a power slam. As soon as Blee gets tagged in, people start saying boring. Mm-hmm. Now that Tommy's down, Raven happily tags in, dropping a fist to Beulah's favorite toy, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Dreamer to hit the even flow DDT. Goes for the pin, but again realizes that it will cost Terry. So he gets up and tags in Funk, who rushes in for multiple pin attempts. Oh, Tommy. He's just too good of a guy. The bulldozer tags in, but Terry just starts throwing as many fists as he can, causing Lee to want to tag out. But Raven won't tag in as long as Funk is in the ring. Tommy comes in for some double-team fists and an elbow drop, which brings in Raven to toss Dreamer out of the floor, which leads to everybody brawling. Lee with a chair to the head of Tommy, Funk with the same to Raven, busting him open before Dreamer returns the favor to the bulldozer. And they make their way into the bleachers to continue the Donnybrook, before returning to the ring, where Raven uppercuts the double cross ranch and starts talking trash again, asking, Is that all you've got, old man? Tell your damn war stories now. Raven continues by slamming Terry's face into the mat over and over. It looks pretty great. He is just... Planning his head into the floor. Yep. But Funk fights his way to his feet to throw some fists before grabbing the mic himself to call Raven a bitch. Now Lee and Tommy are continuing to brawl on the outside while Terry starts kicking at Raven's leg, slapping on the spinning toehold, causing Raven to scream out that he quits. Ah, But the ref ref. is on the floor trying to separate the bulldozer and dreamer. And the ref finally makes it in, but Lee is right behind him with a trash can to hit Funk over the head multiple times, doing the same to Tommy as he attempts to crawl up to the apron. Dreamer's finally made his way in, and he's begging Terry to give up, but Funk just shoves him away, calling him a son of a bitch for even suggesting it. Old Schrodinger's trash can. I love that they like went for it early in the match, and it's been sitting there the whole time, and like... It's a trash can. It wasn't a table. So you're like, well, you know, it could have just been left out there. And uh, they really lay it in here. And the medical staff comes out when Terry can't even stand up to continue. With Tommy finally getting him out of the ring and onto a stretcher. And halfway down the aisle, Funk hops off and battles his way back to ringside. Even with Dreamer attempting to hold him back. And Terry yells, Fuck you, Tommy! As Joey calls this the end of Terry Funk. I mean, he does a great, Joey does a great job of selling the mm-hmm. heartbreak of uh, 
the Terry Funk situation. And Raven and Bulldozer pose in victory in the ring when Big Stevie Cool would storm down to the ring with Tyler and Lori Fullington in tow. And Raven just begs Richards for a Stevie kick. So the band begins to warm, only for Lee to nail a primetime slam out of nowhere. The Bulldozer would continue with the trash can when Lori would jump in the ring, slapping Raven. So he drops her with an even flow DDT. It's funny. The fans cheer, but they're anti-Raven. But they're not anti-Raven in this moment because they're pro-violence against women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, there's like when ECW does things good, they've already spoiled the crowd in a way that you get this like dichotomy thing where it's like, no, like they still should be booing Raven here, but because he did a lady, it's fucking sick. <laughs> so it's just just funny to see and, yeah. the ups and downs. DDT uh, Lori of all the ladies who. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping everybody's as sick of her back then as I yeah, am. Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be that too, but I think they could have DDT'd any lady. Yeah, that would have been all right. I think it's just because it's Lori. You think it's just because it's Lori? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tyler has headed off to the locker room. And he's brought Dreamer back with him, who rushes into the ring to go after Raven, only for Lee to again nail a primetime slam out of nowhere. It's like, the dude's seven foot tall. Like, you should notice that he's in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> he's blinded by rage. Tyler heads to the back again, this time reemerging on the shoulders of oh his father, God. the Sandman. This shouldn't have gotten me emotional. Holding the Singapore cane high in the air. I should have been calling DPS, but I was choking back tears. The Sandman jumps in the ring, so the bulldozer goes for another primetime slam. Only for Sandman to just cane him to break the hold. Like, he jumps into the ring after slamming a beer with his son on his shoulders and then slamming the beer can into his forehead. (laughs) Hey, it's relatable to the fathers in the crowd. Oh, yeah. Raven then attacks, but the Sandman ducks a clothesline and delivers several more cane shots, followed by an even flow DDT for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Whoa, 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 whoa. Was it a match? I don't even know. Me neither. They don't know. Post-match, Sandman and Tyler hug. <gasps> I'm gonna cry. Taking his BWO shirt off before heading backstage together. While in the ring, Tommy helps Stevie to his feet before they stare each other down. But I think the big question is, does this mean Sandman gets a title shot? I mean, hopefully not, but I will say that somehow, because it was dragged out for so long, that Sandman reuniting with his child legitimately was moderately emotional. Would you guys almost agree with me? Maybe it's just because I never thought they would would do it, and it was past the point of me caring. You want to know the reason why they uh, finished off that storyline? Because it sucked. It's because the reason that's the reason why they didn't get uh, put on pay per view for a long time. Like oh. when they went to put, get barely legal on to pay per view, they're like this Wade is- Keller of PW Torch basically went to all the providers and went, "Hey, you should see all this stuff that they do in ECW too." 
like with kids and women and stuff and basically oh. like sold them down the river basically so they had a hard time getting on like the major that's kind of shitty providers kind of shitty of him but I mean, oh, ECW, it's very shitty. But I mean, ECW is doing like <clears throat> trash. But there's nothing illegal against making trash. So we head to our eighth match: Chris Candido versus Sabu. Double duty for the man. Yeah, I know. I wasn't really okay. expecting this match. It's a little bit of Candido chant, a mix of cheers and jeers for Sabu as usual. I'm excited for this one. Chris takes the mic to say that he is pissed that the Hamasana one is already looking past him. Focusing on Taz and even putting himself through a tables and ladders match on the same night. Tonight you're gonna find out that Sabu is nothing but a furniture breaking asshole. Tables don't fight back. I do. You can't wrestle your way out of a goddamn paper bag. So come on down here, jerk off. My god. Former NWA champion. I know. Calling him out. Who, uh, who knew we had, like, Shane Douglas Jr. here? Well, see, also, what uh, kind of blows my mind is when they start talking about, or when Joey starts talking about, 24 years old. 24 years old. I had no fucking clue that he was only 24 years old at That's this time. That's fucking insane. That is insane. Yeah. <clears throat> Being through all of that already, which means he also was one of those that left way too early. Mm-hmm. Or was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a fucking, yeah. It's like... The amount of talent at 24 is insane. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often. So we get a feeling out process to start until the homicidal one takes down Candido and goes for the camel clutch. But Chris wiggles away and flips off Sabu. The homicidal one then hits a second rope drop kick, which brings a fuck him up, Sabu, fuck him up. Clap, clap. Followed by Candido missing an insiguri and the homicidal one missing a springboard clothesline. Sabu then flips over a telegraphed back body drop and does hit the springboard clothesline that sends Chris rolling out to the floor to regroup. But the homicidal one delivers a baseball slide that knocks Candido into the front row. Over the steel. Sabu then grabs a chair to take back into the ring for a triple jump. But Chris just throws a chair into the homicidal one as he comes down. Love to see it. Candido goes back into the ring to head up top and he flies off with a crossbody into the front row before tossing Sabu inside for a two-count. It's a gnarly landing. It's like shoulder first for Chris Candido onto the concrete. Chris nails a trio of pile drivers, including a second rope one, before heading out to the floor to grab a table. But he drags it to the aisleway and doesn't set it up. I mean, second rope pile driver... Really fucking had me afraid for everybody. (laughs) And Candido heads back into the ring to slap the homicidal one, which fires him up with right hands and a back body drop over the ropes to the concrete below. And Sabu follows out with a tope suicida to knock them both into the railing before they race to get to the table, fighting over it with Chris being ran into a guardrail and getting him atop the table now back at ringside. The homicidal one heads back into the ring for a triple jump leg drop, only for Candido to have moved, sending Sabu crashing through the table. And Chris slams the homicidal one's face into the table, choking him before dragging him into the ring to hit a snap suplex and a flash leg drop for a near fall. 
Where's your goddamn hero now? Candido stretches Sabu with holds, but the homicidal one escapes to hit a leg lariat, only for Chris to come right back with a swinging neckbreaker for a two count. And Candido grabs the mic and asks the fans what they think of Mr. Hardcore now, before using the mic to punch Sabu, followed by a rubber band slam. That always looks so painful. I know. I, I know they're not really, well, he might have been, who knows, hitting them with the microphone. Typically yeah. in your WWF w, or WCW shows, but yeah, I can see him just beating him in the face or the forehead with a microphone. I do love the, uh, I mean, you know, well, like the kind of microphone they're using, pretty heavy. But yeah, I just love asking the crowd, are you people bored because I'm using a wrestling hold on this idiot? It's like, yeah, get him, get him. Chris goes for another, but the homicidal one ends up on the apron instead before snap suplexing Candido out onto the concrete. Sabu runs Chris into a guardrail before charging in, only for Candido to avoid and head back inside. But the homicidal one grabs a chair to throw into Chris's face. We get an air Sabu into a hurricanrana for a near fall, followed by a springboard back elbow, only for Candido to catch him for a back suplex. And they fight their way to the top rope, with Chris's superplex attempt being blocked, shoving Candido off face first into the mat, before the homicidal one flies off with a somersault senton for a two count. Sabu heads up top again, only for Chris to meet him there to deliver a super Frankensteiner for a near fall. He then sets up a chair in the middle of the ring for an air Candido. But before he even starts running, the homicidal one's leaping off the chair himself My God. with a leg lariat. Great spot. Chris, you can't beat the man at his own game. You gotta play your way. They battle to the top again, with Sabu launching Chris with a super back body drop, setting the chair up for a triple jump moonsault, only for Candido to get his knees up. Chris follows up with a doctor bomb before placing the chair on the homicidal one's face and heading up top for a diving headbutt. But Sabu moves, leaving Candido to just hit steel. And the homicidal one sets the chair up again, but this allows Chris to recover and nail a power bomb for a two count. He tries for another, only for Sabu to flip over to land on top for a near fall. I love that sit down pin. Looks great. The homicidal one then nails a triple jump leg drop for the pin. And, and the win. win. Post-match, Candido grabs the mic to say he'll probably get beat down by the rest of the triple threat for saying this. But you're hell of a fucking wrestler without that bullshit. And Chris continues by shaking hands and sharing a hug with Sabu. As Joey says his goodbyes and we fade to black. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall <laughs> thoughts of Cyber Slam 1997? I don't even know where to start on it. The beginning was boring. Can we agree that the last two matches are good? Yes, okay. I'll agree on okay. that. That's all because that's all I really have to say in a positive light. Yeah, yeah I, I literally I was lukewarm about the show, and then the last two matches hit, and yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, because yeah. like the rest of the show is pretty standard fare. 
ECW stuff. Yeah. There's nothing special about the first half of this. Nope. Two thirds of this of this show. Seen it mm-hmm. a few times. Insert someone new here. We'll take see this it again person, a few more times. put it in that match yeah. over there. Absolutely. Add a chair. Add a table. Add some whore from the back. <laughs> <laughs> some wonderful whore from the back. Give a, a positive adjective before the negative one. Yeah. Well, those, those are our overall thoughts. I mean, yeah, yeah. You can go to the next part. Yeah. Where we can get more specific. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we spark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Candido's realness. Yes, exactly. It's real. It's so... He's so real. And then, like, when the match is over and he still gives him kudos, he still shits on his wrestling style. Says he doesn't need that shit. Mm -hmm. And, like, he raises his hand. And it feels real. And it's about pride and money. It's not about friendship. Which is a thing that wrestling has been doing way too much lately. Where everything's about... But you're my friend. It's like... That's fine, but yeah. friends don't stay friends forever. This is business. And this is business. Yeah. So just be mad at them and beat them and get get the money. Because yeah. if you win, you get more money. It's like I know a lot of people that are super smart if they weren't such a dumbass half the time. And <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. kind of the same yeah. thing. Uh huh. You're really great if yeah. you don't include all that extra bullshit. Yeah. And Chris Candido is the smart here, whereas Sabu is the. Reckless baby face. Let's see if I can find any best moments. I really think that um, Tracy Smothers looked great, even though it was small and he was in there to lose. But I feel like that him beating Tracy's Taz beating Tracy Smothers, even though it was a squash match, feels a little bit better than him beating these MMA guys that I assume nobody knows about. It's pre MMA blowing up. It's even more. I niche. mean, yeah, I'm I'm more on board with seeing him beat an actual wrestler, but these matches are just getting boring with him. Just Sabu tearing through everybody. Yeah, or Taz. Yeah, Taz. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, that's what I meant. I mean, I see him in a, a match with Tracy Smothers. I know who's gonna win. I see him in a match with an MMA fighter. I know who's gonna win. I see him in a match with nine one one who comes back for you know a one shot appearance. I know who's gonna win. There's there's no mystery in his wrestling anymore. It's just how much whistle blowing can I stand until the next match begins? Yeah, but it is. We know that it's the payoff is coming soon. Oh yeah, so that's good. But, but I understand. I'm feeling like those fans that are booing Sabu because they're just getting bored with this whole thing. Yeah, Taz is is exciting when he gets in there and does his stuff, but there's just too much. He's very explosive. Blah. But how we're tired of seeing happens. the like, yeah. It's like, well, how many more promos does he have left in him about the same thing? I might enjoy it more if I was one that you know. I don't even know where I was going with that. I was yeah. gonna say like, if I was one who went and watched Bruno San Martino fight at Madison Square Garden oh, for man, year yeah. after year after year and not lose. But know. yeah, that's also a like, like a different time period thing too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh well. Nobody really has, like, there's no nothing really on television. This is more exciting than anything you'll see on television. I like that half of the stuff that he does doesn't involve all the bullshit that the BWO and Raven and all that, you know, Sandman shit get thrown into theirs. But it's just, I'm ready for something You're ready fresh. for the, You're ready for the pay-per-view. 
I'm ready for the pay per view. I mean, once to... I think once he gets past the Sabu stuff, it opens up. It opens up it a lot to. more because yeah. right now he's just so been locked in on this Squash. one feud with Sabu. Even with it out, it really being a feud that so yeah, I can I, I can under, completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, 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 I get it, but like I'm still more excited about the Taz segments than a lot of other segments yeah. because. Yeah. The tag segments, Taz segments, I know are going to be short and interesting as opposed to long, and I might be able to cherry-pick some things yeah. that I enjoyed. I am going to say that the some of the stuff that they did with the ladder in the first match was interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to say that the match was... Because, like, on the negative side of that match... Literally, it was just a spot fest. No one sold anything for longer than like two seconds. Yeah, and it was a match that really didn't need the brawl, even though that was shorter than normal, like the crowd brawl. Yeah. But it was like, if you're just going to do your moves, just... But like, I'm over the spot fest mm-hmm. at any point in time. And here in ECW, like, just I want to see competitive wrestling, which is why Sabu and Candido was very good. I mean, I wonder if this is the reason why Perry Saturn never... He's a big name. Yeah. But he like never gets over over. Mm-hmm. Because no one's gonna let him just fucking yeah. no sell everything and Yeah. Just eat power bombs and feed power bombs and yeah. Total elimination, total yeah. elimination, total elimination, total elimination. Hey, we only got two of those. We got the mostly elimination. <laughs> the whole Raven segment, like him on the mic. Talking to Tommy was like, it's good to me. Possibly the best Raven stuff that we've gotten for sure because there, it feels like stakes that are more believable, which is crazy because like talking about Tommy and Sandman and like family and girlfriends and stuff like that. It's like for some reason that doesn't come off as like real or believable, or we're not really as invested in it. It's just kind of like shock television, but. Terry Funk's on the apron. And we all know who Terry Funk is. We all love and respect Terry Funk. And Tommy Dreamer, as much as we love and respect Terry Funk, a wrestler is going to love and respect him even more because they wrestle. So, like, that was so much more immediately <coughs> meaningful than anything that Raven and Dreamer have been doing together for a long time. And, of course... Terry Funk out on his feet getting hit in the head with a trash can 20 times who else could have done it better an already tired man yep selling being tired who knew he could do it so well how about most disappointing this is probably obvious but as great as I thought that Sabu and Candido was Knowing that the pay-per-view was coming up... You knew who was going to win. I knew who was going to win. Yep. I mean... Yeah. That's why I said it's obvious. And But Candido had such a great showing that it also gives you a lot of I mean, promise. I, I don't think Candido takes any... Coming forward. Yeah, going like, forward. He doesn't move down in the rankings. No, or not whatever, at all. You know, no, no, it doesn't hurt him. Showing, like, no, personally, I think it makes him look great. No, absolutely. It did its job. It's just one of those things where it's like... Oh, I'm really invested in this match, because but in the back of my mind, I'm like, "Well, I know it's going to happen." To me, you have this this triple threat 
you know, that Shane Douglas is putting together. We all know Shane Douglas is a badass. We all know Brian Lee's Brian the muscle. Lee, Brian Lee is the muscle. He's a badass just because of his size. They needed to do some stuff to make Candido kind of glow up a little yeah. bit in the yeah. eyes. They did it perfectly. And, if, and you put him in a, ma- a competitive match with one of the biggest names in the mm-hmm. in the company. And he's barking the the same like tenets of wrestling that Shane Douglas is. Oh, yeah. What's with the trash? What's with the trash? Yeah. And he's and, got that uh, wild card effect to him. Yeah, he's got a different he's got a different move set. He's less of a of the like chicken shit heel and more of the like badass heel where he's balls out, Shane Douglas is playing with your mind more. So no, I do think that no shade to the last match. It's it's so good that you'd like to think that maybe Candido could win. That's that's all. But it absolutely served its purpose in a great way. And Sabu and Taz going into this pay-per-view both look great. I was a little disappointed Stevie Richards on this show. Yeah. Like his, I mean... He didn't pop as I know it's I know it's Balls Mahoney. And Balls Mahoney is really kind of a hard person to have like a good match with. But just throwing arm locks and arm bars on for like the first like five minutes of that match it was just kind of like come on dude i mean i'm a sucker for some matt wrestling but it's like maybe that they needed to fill time and what else is balls gonna do but it is not as this was as stevie richards has been a highlight for quite a while at this point and on this show i I want to say this is probably my least favorite match that i've ever seen him in yeah yeah but at this point he's a feature and not a highlight where it's like oh yeah stevie richards we like him but it's the least memorable or exciting stevie richards involvement but he does have a big moment later on in the show that is uh you know that big fat question mark hanging in the sky yeah he's got that but uh the whole glory, Tyler. That's all the that end of it. Stuff. I hope so. Matt said it was. I believe him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for certain. Yeah, it but just it, it doesn't just mean fit, that it very much still. feels like a conclusion. Yeah, of but, the storyline. And I think I was so tired of it happening for so long that I don't know if I was more emotionally rocked by something of like note happening as opposed to the same thing over and over again. Or if it was because Sandman was actually reunited with his child. It might have just been because something different finally happened. Yep, I'm just over him. Yeah. I need them to not show up on TV ever again. <laughs> because it's the, the gangster's effect. I mean, the kid being... I a, see Lori, and it's yeah. just like any interest I have on the show just shuts off right there. And then I just like stare blankly at the TV until they're gone. I imagine that like the kid and the wife being a face is the least interesting thing I can think of. They could only be I mean, heels. It, it only makes sense yeah. for them to be heels. pawns in a yeah in a heel situation. Like Exactly. For them to keep coming out as face. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. what's the point? So if, it's, if they're face now, then I imagine they're gone. They better be. How about best performer of the night? Candido? That's... Or- Sabu, because he, he did, did it twice. He opened and closed the show. He did. But Candido was um, fresh. I think I kind of want to give it to Raven. I mean, it was the be- it was some of the better Raven we've seen. So, I mean, the psychology in that match, like... It was great. Was great. Yeah. 
But like yeah, Raven, Funk, Dreamer, they all served their they all fit right into their roles perfectly in that match. But yeah, I wouldn't be mad at giving it to any of those people. Oh yeah, we throw Tommy Rich on most disappointing too. I don't understand why he's <laughs> even there. Yeah, because Stanley was in the mafia. Uh, I think he's there because uh, he yeah. he has been there recently, and because they needed another person for the full blooded. Italian. <laughs> and it's the cyber slam thing. Also crazy is that I would have. There's a person on this show that will become a full blooded Italian. I think probably by the next show, if not that show, then Chris in two shows. Chetty. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you who. Okay, I mean, that was my guess. But, well, I don't know if it's disappointing, but surprising that this is their, like, fan convention thing. Mm-hmm. Fan convention weekend. But Funk and Rich and Smothers are the only ones. And two of them have been there. You know, one's been there recently, and the other one's been there off and on since it started. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well... Well, who knows like, what this convention actually was? Yeah, and there might have been more people at tables or whatever. But it's, I just kind of expected like somebody other than Tracy Smothers to be like a surprise star. But I don't care either way. It's Maybe. not like I'm disappointed by that. That's surprising. Maybe he's huge in Philly. For Maybe. all we know, I love Tracy Smothers. Or maybe he was huge in the Bronx and they brought him to Philly. Southern Boys, uh, <laughs> Southern Boys Midnight is that the match? Yeah, or, I think so. Or the Rock and Roll? I think it's Midnight. Uh, I think it was Midnight. Yeah, it's Midnight. Yeah. yeah. What a fuck! What a goddamn match! Yeah. How about most surprising? That the Sandman saga t- is possibly saga over. Is possibly over? Uh, yeah, I mean for sure. I didn't expect that. It was. I'll wait until the next ECW show before yeah. I add that to my most. I mean, it surprising. won't be on the pay per view, but I don't know if we have anything between now and the pay per view. It feels like we're gearing up for it. That we, Chris Candido was only 24 fucking years old. Yeah, that's that, that really is surprising. <laughs> I figured maybe like 28. Yeah, because I mean, I started looking at, at as they were saying that, I just kept running through my head that Randy Orton was 24 when he beat Benoit for the world oh, championship. Wow. And then it took him like five years before he reached, you know, championship status again. How old is um, Will Ospreay? He's almost 30. Is he? I mean, MJF's 24. Mm. Yeah, but... Yeah. Will Ospreay Crazy. is impressive, but MJF has the it factor. Yes. They're different guys. Whereas, uh, you know, Will Ospreay has more of the... Okada was pretty young when he won his first one. Yeah, yeah. And it was also because they shot him up the card. Yeah. And then Brock, ones. I think, was the same age, too. 24, I think, when he won. Yeah. You got those few, but, yeah. Love to see it. Crazy. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Yokozuna had been crowned WWF champion at WrestleMania 9 on April 4th, 1993. After his manager, Mr. Fuji, had thrown salt in the eyes of Bret Hart, allowing Yoko to roll him up. As Zuna would celebrate with the belt, Hulk Hogan would come down to protest the finish and check on the hitman. Mr. Fuji would issue a challenge and Brett would give his approval to the Hulkster. So Hogan would enter the ring with Yoko grabbing him from behind to hold him, with Fuji again throwing more salt, only for Hulk to duck 
causing Yokozuna to be blinded. So Hogan would hit a clothesline and a leg drop to become WWF champion for the fifth time. The Hulkster would then grant a rematch to Yokozuna in just a few months. What an upsetting... Upsetting upset? Upsetting upset, yeah. End of, <laughs> just like, you son of a bitch. I think about that, the end of WrestleMania 9, a lot. And it always bums me out. Yep. I'm sure it was exciting for some people at the time. But, you know, hindsight. Next week, Super Brawl 7. We're already on number 7. Yeah. Wild. I mean... Can it be worse than sold out? No. Uh, not unless they do like a Legends <laughs> Night thing. Not unless Wahoo McDaniel's involved. Oh, come on. I Don't know. Wahoo McDaniel. I know. That's one of the last places we saw Tommy Ridge, too. <laughs> he was thin and flabby. He bulked up. Did you say thin and flabby? Thin and flabby, yes. <laughs> he was. Music from this week's show is Thunderkiss 65. Five five. Yeah. By Rob Zombie. And Sabu won our main event, so we played his theme music, Fight, by Little Crazy. And if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, Recipes. Where the hell are we going next? San Francisco. Ooh, Cow Ooh. Palace. I, I got, was gonna say somewhere oh, in the, the south, palace. but nice. okay, we're going to San Fran. I got an idea for you. Hmm. Box of rice aroni. It is a San Francisco treat. No, yeah, San Francisco I haven't food. been to San Francisco since I was a kid, so I'm gonna have to think. It's a new place for us. I mean, yeah. I did see a you know an Italian rainbow cake earlier. It is the gay capital of the United States of America. True. Yeah, I feel like it. I feel like it was, and I. I don't. I feel like San Francisco is just not even on the map anymore. Yeah, it's kind I, of faded out. I think it's also gotten kind of um, like Oklahoma has been referred to as the San Francisco of the Southwest. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean Oklahoma itself is known as the the bling on the buckle of the Bible Belt. Oh, never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the one of the new things ever done. Oklahoma City Dallas connection there that just gaze up the whole. Oh, I, I would have figured, would have figured Austin, but that's what I would think too. But at the same time, gay guys typically like nice things. Dallas is full of nice things, and you can afford nice things if you live in Oklahoma. Whereas, True. Whereas in Austin, it seems kind of more of a like vaguely performative hippie thing. It's starting to get overrun. Yeah, for sure. Austin the gays will make their its, way to Austin soon. Austin is, is losing its its weird or whatever it was that they were. Keep Austin weird, keep Austin strange, whatever the hell their little slogan was for the longest yeah. time. A little less, um, I was going to say a little less slacker, a little more. And I was going to try to pull another of that guy's movies out, but I couldn't think of one. Boyhood. <laughs> Boyhood, great movie. Before Sunset. <laughs> yeah, but Before I, was, I was thinking, trying to think of one that was like a little more highfalutin. Because Slacker is like takes place in beat down Dazed and sound, sound right. yeah maybe more maybe more days and reviews. What's the other one I'm thinking of? Waking Life. Oh yeah, I don't like that one. I neither. I'm glad to hear it's it. It's creepy. It's just. But it made me angry. Right? I shouldn't say it made me angry. It made me angry watching it. But then at the same time, it was oh yeah, I recognize that guy. By the way, he flips his hair in his oh, little yeah. illustration. I didn't like the uh, like. 17 and on acid like conversations about how like 
the world is blah blah blah, and what if your dreams were this? And it's like, okay. But yeah, anyway, we're going sorry. to San Francisco, so send me some ideas. Slide into our DMs. Give us a shout out on the old Xbox. Think Xbox X. Show me your box on X. <laughs> Joke, guys. I don't even have X. If you have any of those things, <laughs> except for the last thing, yes. don't 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 send us any of those. Um, you can find us. You can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Woo, the Stevie Sour is good. Laters! <laughs> <laughs>